Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Get your advanced PhD in WOW from Floor and Decor. If you're a pro, you're already an expert in tile, wood, and stone. And with Floor and Decor's job site delivery, their free design services, and pro rewards that actually reward you, your business is set to grow from one client to the next. Floor and Decor isn't just a couple of aisles. It's an entire store designed to help your business boom. It's Floor and Decor. McKay here and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So what does Joseph Campbell's archetype of the hero's journey have to do with getting in better shape or for that matter becoming a better man overall? How can skipping a few meals uh, increase your testosterone? What does it mean to be the alpha male? Well our guest today is here to answer those questions. His name is John Romanello and he is a health and fitness expert who's written for pretty much every single major fitness publication website out there. He is the head of Arnold Schwarzenegger's Fitness Advisory Board. Um, and he recently published a book. Well, last year he published a book called Man 2.0, Engineering the Alpha. And today we're going to talk about all sorts of stuff. It's a great, fascinating conversation. We're going to talk about testosterone, optimizing all your hormones, the hero's journey. We're going to talk about how to reduce stress. We're going to talk about uh, comic book heroes. It's just a fun conversation. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. And just so you know, heads up, there's some big boy language here. So if you usually listen to the podcast with your 10 year old son, you might not want to do that this time. And if you're at the office or some public place, you'll probably want to put on some headphones. Let's do this. All right, John Romanello, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, man. Really happy to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. Um, so let's do let's for our listeners who aren't aware of you or know who you are. Let's do a little bit of background about yourself. You're a fitness expert, um, written for a whole bunch of the big fitness magazines, um, Schwarzenegger.com. And, but you describe yourself as a nerd. And in fact, you wrote a post, a guest post for us about a year ago about, uh, the, the, the hero's journey and you mm-hmm. can't, you really geeked out. It was awesome. Um, and you know, when you're growing up, you describe yourself as the kind of the chubby eighth grade kid who'd rather read than exercise or play sports. Mm-hmm. So how did you get started in health and fitness? How did you make that jump from nerd to health? I guess you're still a nerd, but how did you, how did you get started in health and fitness? Yeah, you don't ever stop being a nerd. You just take <laughs> on other mantles as well. Like deep under this muscular carapace beats the heart of a of like Sheldon Cooper. I'm just, you know, like covered in, in this disguise of muscle. As to how it happened, I mean, it just like like many people, I I just had a moment where I realized I didn't want to live my life the way I was living, what alcoholics call a moment of clarity. I just sort of looked in the mirror and realized that the person I was seeing wasn't really the outward manifestation of who I thought I was internally. And, you know, there's a lot of interesting research that's uh, been conducted over the past 20 years, but more so over the past 10, that shows 
that in general we typically perceive heavy people, uh, you know, people who are, are bordering on obesity. I was just what I would call chubby or thick. But speaking uh, very generally, we generally perceive people who are heavy to be less intelligent, less motivated. And I think a lot of that applies to self, even with no access to that information, even not knowing that. If you just look at yourself in the mirror and you compare yourself to other people or just feel like you're you're out of shape, you, you typically don't feel great about it. And a lot of that is just sort of the the brainwashing that comes with being in our culture. But I think that there's there's some evolutionary holdovers there as well in terms of not being fit enough or capable enough to provide or to be um, in a position where you could defend yourself. And for whatever reason, that happened for me when I was um, – toward the end of my freshman year of college. And I looked at this picture that had been taken of maybe six or seven months prior. And I was like, Jesus, I, I was, you know, you, you don't see it because it happens every day. You don't really realize it. And I realized this picture, I was, I was super chubby. And then I looked in the mirror and I was like, well, shit, it's actually worse now. <laughs> so um, I decided to make a change. I, I decided that I wanted the person inside to match the person outside. And you know, a big part of that, you mentioned my nerdery. I think a big part of that has always, who I wanted to look like has always come from nerdy sources. I, you know, always wanted to look like Batman or Superman or, um, or even Spider-Man who was a, a bit more gangly, but still, you know, pretty, pretty visibly jacked. And growing up, I played Dungeons and Dragons and I, I got to pretend to be all of these heroes who could do all of those things. And then one day I thought there's no reason that I I can't, with some work, actually do that myself. And that's how it started for me. I, I uh, Being, again, a nerdy, bookish sort of guy, someone who had always sought – I saw great value and sought comfort in books. My first impulse wasn't to go into the gym and just come out swinging. My first impulse instead was to read as much as I could about health and fitness and then come up with a game plan and apply it, which I, I discover now, having worked with thousands of clients over the years, that is sort of – the opposite of what most people, in particular, most men do. Typically speaking, most men like to shoot first and ask <laughs> questions later when it comes to health and fitness. And I was, I guess, fortunate enough to be to be in the other camp. But what I've learned is that I, I think that there are two types of, of people in the gym. There are the people who do a lot of research on the internet and then start. And then there, there are the people who start and do a lot of research later. And, uh, and this, is, this, I guess, is a, is, a, is a good sound bite or at least actionable tip. What I have found is that the people who just are willing to get started and take action, even if they're doing things that aren't correct in terms of what fitness professionals believe is the right course of action, those people are still more likely to get results because a, an imperfect plan executed with perfect intensity is by far superior to a perfect plan not executed at all because you're too busy trying to perfect the plan. So it's, it's all about it's better to get yeah, action is, be action oriented and then go yeah. back and correct later on. Exactly. Um, for me, it was the other way. It worked out well. I went through this crazy body transformation. I was 19 years old. I went from being this chubby kid to this ripped guy in about six or eight weeks. I went from having a 35-inch waist to like a 28-inch waist over the course of, of that time. I lost a lot of weight very, very quickly because it turned out I had pretty good bodybuilding or fitness genetics. And then, you know, my life changed in a lot of ways. Uh, I was more successful with women after a fashion. But it just it, – it was great for my confidence. Not only did I like the way I looked, I liked the way people reacted to the way I looked. And it was such a positive experience for me for the most part that 
I, I thought, how can I help other people do this? And at the time, I was in school majoring in, uh, in, in psychology and biology, but I just decided, let me train for a while. And then it turned into this business that just kept growing, and I started writing for magazines. And now it's, I think, 12 or 13 years later, and um, I guess maybe one day I'll get a real job. But for now, <laughs> I, I'm very happy to write books about fitness and, and, uh, and general self-improvement. But you know, fitness is now, it's a very small part of what I do. It's, it's sort of the face of everything on the outside. But now I get to function in the capacity of a business consultant, an angel investor, a social media guy, and an advisor for all of these companies. So it all started with fitness. But, you know, I, I sort of look at Arnold as my role model. Here's a guy who started with bodybuilding and has gone into everything else. Yeah. So I like to have, I have a lot of irons in the fire and I like to be involved in a lot of different aspects. So it's, uh, it's been fun. Yeah. So, but yeah, fitness laid the foundation for all of that though. Exactly. Yeah. Let's talk about this kind of the nerd brawn thing here a bit. Cause like there's this common misconception I feel like amongst a lot of men that if you're into fitness, you're going to, you're supposed to be like this kind of dolty bro that just cares about doing bicep curls in the squat rack or whatever. And you break that mold. And I, I've noticed when my, just kind of rubbing shoulders with guys who are in the, the fitness business, um, they're also extremely smart and capable intellectually has strength training and fitness improved your intellect? You think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, um, well, ju just a quick comment on on the industry writ large. I think that there are just so many, uh, not even just super, uh, you know, just aggressively intelligent, hyper intelligent people in the industry, and there sort of have to be. One of the complaints that we hear a lot in the fitness industry is that anyone can can you know have a decent body and start a blog and call themselves an expert if they're decent at marketing but the cream really does tend to rise to the top and you see so many of these guys being so successful and, and building these massive empires simply because they are so good so you do have to be really knowledgeable and i think that there's so much of that sort of misconception that's just held over from from you know maybe a decade back uh i, I really think that the industry values intelligence. It's, it's an industry that looks to the smartest people in the world uh, in, or the smartest people in the field to be the leaders. And it's really only the people on the outside who think that it's the meathead sort of leading the way because those people on the periphery, those meatheads, they, they tend to be pretty loud. But uh, as to the original question, I think that for me, one of the reasons that I've been so successful is because I straddle a couple of different worlds. And in particular, I play off a lot of misconceptions. You know, you see a guy like me who's done some fitness modeling, who did some bodybuilding, you know, a good looking jacked dude, you generally are going to think, you know, again, the public perception is you see a guy that looks like me and you think he's a meathead, he's an idiot, he's vain. Then I start talking about comic books and, and my, you know, lifelong obsession with, with dragons. And, <laughs> and all of a sudden, those things are, are sort of uh, turned on their head a bit. And I think that you know, I've talked about this in a lot of other interviews. So for people who, who are, uh, are hearing this for, for the umpteenth time, I apologize for the redundancy. But I really do believe that cultivating dichotomy in any business is one of the, the, the great things that uh, makes things successful. And that's, that's really what's worked for me. And it's what has worked for so many of those other professionals that I mentioned. There's these super smart guys that can bro out and do a bunch of bicep curls, but they can also teach you about biomechanics. All right, so let's talk about your most recent book. Came out, uh, I guess, last year, right? Yeah, yeah right. just over a year ago now. Yeah, so it's Man 2.0, Engineering the Alpha. Um, there's a lot I want to talk about. There's a lot of st great stuff in here. But let's start off with this. Uh, it's called Engineering the Alpha. 
What does alpha mean to you? Because I feel like the whole alpha male thing gets thrown around so much by so many different groups of people that it's almost lost its meaning because it means can mean anything you want it to mean. Uh, but what, what does it mean to you? Yeah. So I think that what we were trying to do, we being my, my co-author, Adam Bornstein and I, uh, if you guys are interested in Adam, super smart guy, bornfitness.com. Uh, so what we were trying to do is sort of stake our claim on that word and sort of wrest it from the control of the um, the, the, the less scrupulous uh, aspects of manhood. Uh, I think that particularly in in the seduction community or the pickup artist community, that word gets tossed around in a very positive way and a very negative way because there are people who are successful in that world and are successful with women who view themselves as alpha. And then there are people who are still sort of climbing up the rungs and trying to be successful with women. And because they're unsuccessful, hate people that are just as a matter of course. This is one of the unfortunate little burrs of human nature. So, you know, it, it can mean a lot of different things, but really what we wanted to do is just give, put our stamp on it. And for, for me, what it is to be an alpha is not to go around talking about yourself as an alpha. It's just someone who's consistently dedicated to self-improvement um it you know it just it's engineering the alpha sounded better than engineering the attitude of consistent (laughs) self-improvement but so that's really what it is so we get some flack and and pushback on the alpha male thing but we're not talking about being an amog because for us that's sort of limiting right to be the alpha male of a group simply means that you are the best or the highest member of a, of a particular group of guys or people or, or anyone else. So in order to quantify value, you have to compare yourself and rank above other people. So it's a comparative analysis of value. And what we look at is more of a, an intrinsic value. So rather than looking at extrinsic motivators in terms of, of a pecking order, I'm really concerned with how I rank today versus how I was last year. Have I become a better man over the past 12 months. I'd like to think that I'm a better writer today than I was the day that book was published in, in April of 2013. And I hopefully think that I'm a better business person than I was a year ago and a, and a better man. And, um, and, and that's really the goal for me to constantly get better, to try and create some sort of objective guidelines for self-analysis and from there have a, a way to quantify progress. Uh, or you mentioned my article on the hero's journey earlier, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But but a big part for me, a big part of it is looking at at each individual change I'm undergoing in my life, and and pushing it through the lens of the hero's journey, and using that as a way to sort of assess uh, development and what uh, what the next thing I need to do is. So let's talk a little bit more about quantifying progress because that's something I'm I'm always interested in doing and. For a lot of things, there's some things that are really easy to quantify your progress mm-hmm. on, like, you know, if your bench is getting better, if you're making sure. more money, you know, sort of the things you have, a, like, that naturally have a number to it. But how do you quantify sort of those more fuzzy things, like general well-being, or mm-hmm. am I able to manage stress better, or am I, do I feel more, con- I mean, how do, you, how do you quantify that so you know, you know that you're progressing? Well, a big part of it for me, um, and you guys have written about this quite a lot, the only way to... Uh, be aware of these things is to is to record them right so journaling is is really really great for me it just sort of writing it down and and going over my day realizing most of the situations i've been in at this point are just sort of variations of other situations that i've been in and uh, you know so like any 
any stressful business situation has its own unique set of problems, but ultimately every single stressful business situation you'll ever be in is going to affect you the same way because that, you know, how, how you as a person, as a man react to business stress is going to be unchanging unless you specifically address that. So I think that, um, a big part of it for me is every single time I'm going to end, let's again, just talk business for a moment. Sure. Every time I'm going to enter into a huge, um, business undertaking, which for me is either I'm releasing a new product or new book or I'm starting a new company. What I do is I look at my journal for, you know, like the three weeks, the three week period that I might have been doing that during the last one, the last launch. And I just see how I was handling things and try to be better. And I I got to see that like the thing that consistently stresses me out is the fact that I'm always scrambling last minute in the, in these launches. Yeah. And the reason for that is because I don't, I don't prepare. I just leave too many things to the last minute. And a lot of that is because it's, I'm a procrastinator. So the way that I handle that, how I get better at being a businessman is I delegate things that other people can do. And I focus only on doing the things that only I can do. And that just means that by the time the launch rolls around, we have 50 to 70% more shit done than if I had done it myself and waited to the last minute. So just like looking at the fact that, you know, going over those three or four launches that I did in 2012 leading up to engineering the alpha, I would say, well, these were the problems there. So now I'll eliminate those by a matter of course, because there were simply fewer things stressing me out. My stress level decreased, but I also try to look at how I handled stress during that time. And for me, it's, it's a matter of like trying to, you know, just let, let more things roll off my shoulders. I, I, I'm the type of person who, uh, is, there's a lot of cumulative stress for me as opposed to acute stress. Mm. So I just need to keep my overall stress level down. Like if, you know, I'm the kind of person who will very much like, there will be one tiny straw that breaks the camel's back as opposed to other people who compartmentalize their stresses very well. And I've gotten a lot better at that. And for me, if like, if there's this one business thing upsetting me, I'll just sort of look at it in the grand scheme of life and like, well, you know what? Okay. The site crashed, but (laughs) there's literally nothing I can do about that. I can't, I'm not a tech guy. I called my tech guy. I said, Hey, the site crashed, get it back up when you can. And now I'm, I'm kind of capable of just like laughing it off because in the end, what's it really going to affect? You know, maybe we'll make a few thousand less dollars because the site was down for three hours, but if my business hinged on making three or $4,000, then I wouldn't be in a good spot. Yeah. So I just, you know, I just sort of control the things I can control and, and, uh, just get rid of the rest. Um, but let's talk about, yeah, let's go back to the hero's journey, right? So what I loved about the book is you, um, sort of frame everything within Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. How does understanding that the hero's journey help men become better men, whether it means getting in better shape or improving their romantic life or improving their uh, business life. What is about the hero's journey that can help men become better men? Well, I think that if you understand it and apply it to any change or any, any stressful situation in your life, it's very clear what you need to do, right? So if you look at the hero's journey in, you know, whether you use Campbell's original 17th stage model or the more abbreviated Vogler model, that's 12 steps. I, I like to look at it and think, where am I on this circular journey? Where am I on this path? 
Because most of the time, the problems in life are caused because we don't know how to react, because there's so much uncertainty. And once you know where you are on that cycle, it's, for me, really just about focusing on getting to the next step. So the first step is, you know, the call to adventure, or being in the ordinary world, that's your everyday thing. And then there's the call to adventure, which maybe you've gotten fired from a job, maybe you've gotten a new job, maybe you're getting into a relationship, or in the case of this book, maybe you want to start a fitness journey. For whatever reason, you've had, as I described it earlier, that moment of clarity. You've seen a picture, you have this reunion coming up, it's your wedding. Whatever it is, there is what Campbell calls an inciting event. There is something that makes you want to do the thing that you want to do. And then most people, that's it stops there. They don't know what to do. But if you look at the hero's journey, stage three, depending on which model you look at, it's very, very clear what you need to do. Stage three is meeting with the mentor. The only thing you should be focusing on is finding a mentor, whether in the fitness, it could be the book that I wrote or, or any book, because that is written by someone who knows more than you. That's your mentor. Whomever the author of that book is, that's the mentor. Maybe it's finding a coach. Maybe it's joining CrossFit. What, maybe it's hiring a nutritionist. Whatever it is you do, the only thing you should focus on is, is a mentor. That's stage three. Once you've done that, you're going to go through a period of reluctance, and that's typically uh, refusal of the call. Many people do that. They, you know, they're like, all right, they hire a trainer, and then I don't know if I can do this. I'm nervous. And you just have to find some way to to overcome refusal of the call. And in, in fitness, normally uh, accountability is enough. When people hire a trainer, they have financial accountability. You have to show up for that session because you're paying that guy $150 an hour. And so that usually gets you over the hump of refusal of the call. So just like looking at those two steps alone, that's it. All you need to do if you're in one of those earlier stages is focused on getting to the next stage. Then there's, you know, the path of, you know, going through tests, trials, and allies. As long as you know, you know, it's, it's allies, enemies, tests. As long as you know that those are coming, you can be more prepared. If you look at things through the lens of the hero's journey in terms of fitness, you think, okay, I found this mentor. I've gotten through this refusal of the call. Now I'm crossing the first threshold. It means I'm actually committing to this journey. So they're going to, after that, be tests, allies, and enemies, which means I'm going to get invited to parties. I'm going to have people who are going to say, oh, just have one beer. Oh, just have one, one bite of whatever. And then I'm also going to have people who are just like, hey, man, you're doing a great job. And is, for me, I have found that letting my clients know that those things will happen in advance and giving them specific instructions for how to handle each one of those events, they are immediately going to be more successful. And all of that comes from the hero's journey. And and so, you know, the same thing can apply to, you know, going through a relationship. You know, I was um I, I was a a a career bachelor before I met my wife. And I loved I loved that lifestyle, Brad. I loved being a single guy in New York City and and just going out and, and being with a bunch of women, you know, dating a bunch of women, uh, you know, having the occasional six to twelve month relationship and then going back to juggling six women. That was like that was how I enjoyed living my life. And then I met my wife. So, so again, being a bachelor is my ordinary world. Then I met my wife. That's the inciting event. Um, and then I, I actually, for initially, I was a little bit afraid of, of like what it could mean to be in a relationship with someone whom I knew like I wanted something real with. So that was refusal of the call. 
And so then I met with a mentor. I had dinner with uh, with John Berardi, who is one of my early fitness mentors. He runs a site called Precision Nutrition. John is one of the greatest coaches in the world. But John had also been a bachelor. He had also been a career bachelor and then eventually got married and has like two two wonderful kids now. And so John and I had a long conversation over dinner and that conversation sort of gave me some insight and helped me understand that maybe, you know, I was ready and that maybe I could take these steps. And so then the 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 crossing the first threshold was when we got involved in that relationship and then there are tests there are always women from your past coming and you know like messaging you what's going on are you in town tonight <laughs> there's always going to be te- the universe tests you that's like you know that's a, i actually i ha- i started writing this blog post that it that it begins with let me introduce you to the universe he's a dick <laughs> and because the universe will test you as soon as you're in a happy relationship like women are going to start coming at you because that's the nature of it, right? And I think that anything worth having is worth being tested for. You, you know, I deserved those those tests. I deserved that hardship of like needing to grow from that type of refusal because that proved to me that I was worthy of this relationship. And then there are the allies, right? The the people in your life who are so excited for you to take this step. And then there are the enemies who are saying are you you really think you can do this? Can you keep this girl? Can you be with one woman forever? Like, you know, all of these different things, these people. And, and the most insidious thing is that those are people that you love. In both cases, mm. your allies and your enemies are people that you love. It could, you know, even be your own mother who's just like, I don't really like this girl. You yeah. know, you might, you know, that didn't happen with me, thankfully. It happened. That's how I, that's one of the reasons I knew, by the way. It was one of the, one of the few women my mother liked. Um but, you know, that happens with a lot of my friends. They've, they're dating this woman. They fall in love. And then some member of their family, are, they're, they're putting poison in their ear, if I may quote Shakespeare. And, um, and, and that's hard. So all of, the, all of the aspects of the hero's journey, every step applies to every major change you'll make in your life. I can cannibalize anything from getting hired to getting fired to going to college to getting to you know going through divorce to finding the one you love or or to fitness and for me whenever i don't know what to do in my life i just sit down i draw a circle and i plot out the hero's journey and i figure out where i am and from there all i need to do all i need to do Brett is get to the next step and what and then that just becomes a question of how to do that how do i get to the next step where am i now that's awesome stuff. And so I guess that you, one of the, when I was thinking as you're, as I was listening to you, this, the hero's journey can happen to you more than once. Yeah. You're, I mean, in, in general, you're going through, you know, your main life cycle of a hero's journey. But I think at any given time, we're all going through, you know, one to three individual cycles. And a lot of them, you know, overlap. You know, you could be going through this new cycle of starting a business while at the same time going through the cycle of, of, you know, getting a divorce or, or whatever else. And I think that, um, you know, you go through so many throughout your life. Every major change is a micro cycle on the macro cycle of your lifelong hero's journey to become the best version of yourself and live a life worthy of song and and memory. That's awesome. That's some great, like some meta deep psychology, Jungian stuff right there. I love it. Um, so let's, let's get into the nitty gritty about your, your, your health and fitness philosophy, um, because it's unique in the industry. I think, um, you you put a lot of emphasis on hormone optimization. Like that's one of the the keys to getting in the best shape of your life. Are there specific hormones that we should be focusing on to optimize 
our health and I mean, how, how do you optimize hormones? I mean, cause that's such, it's like such a weird, sure. it's like alchemy almost, right? I mean, so- it, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Hopefully there aren't too many Faustian bargains involved, but, <laughs> um, so a big part of it, right, is what gets measured gets managed. So the first thing is that I really do recommend that people go and get some sort of hormonal profile done. Uh, you can do this at, at most laboratories. Most doctors will run a blood test. Um, in particular, I, I say that every man who's over the age of like 16 should get a testosterone uh, to get, get their testosterone levels checked and do it probably every two or three years. Even if you're not experiencing symptoms of low testosterone, it's, it's important to get it tested because it establishes a baseline. And if you, if you do that and then get it tested years later and it's significantly lower, then at least you can identify the problems uh, or, or maybe one of the sources of those problems. But uh, a good company that you can look at is WellnessFX, uh, wellnessfx.com, and they do all sorts of like really, really in-depth hormonal profile. They do micronutrients in your blood and, and, and everything. So there's no hormone that isn't important, but on, on the larger scale in terms of the ones that we can manipulate with changes to our behavior, there's testosterone, insulin, uh, growth hormone, estrogen obviously is, is part of the mix. And then there's all these hormones that are related to those other ones like ghrelin and uh, cortisol is another big one. So those are the ones we want to look at. Let's talk a little bit about what some of the things you can do to modify right. or optimize your, your hormones. And you talk one of the big keys uh, you talk about in the book is intermittent fasting. For listeners who aren't aware of what intermittent fasting is, can you explain what it is and yeah. talk about what sort of the effects it has on, on hormones? Sure. So intermittent fasting, or IF, is a, a system of, of, of structure, alternating structures of, of eating and not eating, periods of fasting when you're not eating at all with periods that are called a feeding window when you are, quote unquote, allowed to eat. So there's a few different ways to do this, the most popular of which is 16-8 intermittent fasting, also known as the lean gains method. It was, as far as I know, devised but certainly popularized by Swedish trainer nutrition expert Martin Birkin, uh, who you guys can learn about over at leangains.com. Martin's a very smart guy and certainly one of the godfathers of the fasting movement along with Brad Pilon who wrote a great book called Eat, Stop, Eat. And uh, so I've learned a lot from, from all of these guys and I, and I love to throw them as much light as I can when, uh, whenever I have the opportunity. So check all those guys out. But fasting is good for various types of, of, of health-related things. But in terms of your physique, in terms of your hormones, the fact is that when you are fasting, you're going to be minimizing insulin production because you're not eating. And insulin is produced not necessarily in direct concert with, but certainly as a consequence of feeding, regardless of what you're eating. So we all know that eating carbohydrates causes an insulin spike, but it's also been shown that eating fat by itself or protein by itself or protein and fat together can also cause insulin production. And so by, by concentrating your food intake into this smaller period, you minimize insulin production. Instead of, let's say, the, the traditional bodybuilding model of eating six meals per day, you're you know, creating those insulin spikes six times. But here, you might only be doing it two or three because you're eating all of your meals in that eight-hour window. 
Fasting also tends to increase growth hormone. So right off the bat, you're decreasing insulin and increasing growth hormone, and that is going to have some profound physiological effects just in terms of the ease with which you can make changes to your body in terms of uh, fat loss and muscle gain. There's, it's not a magic bullet. It's not like flipping a switch and all of a sudden, you know, you can eat the same things you were eating and you'll have radical shifts in body composition. And at the same time, it's not a completely necessary thing. You know, bodybuilders have been getting shredded on six meals a day for as long as there have been bodybuilders. So it's, you know, it's not necessary. It's just, it's something that, that is going to give you a little bit more leverage. It also helps in terms of, of livability. I think we can agree that eating three meals per day is is easier and more convenient than eating six meals per day. Uh, certainly cheaper if you're eating different meals every time, or uh, just a lot less time consuming if you're preparing them. But there are those hormonal effects, um, and that's huge, particularly because there's a lot of what we call hormonal interplay, right? And one of the things that we look at is the inter- the relationship between insulin and testosterone and the better your insulin sensitivity is the more you're going to see the effects of higher testosterone even at lower levels like uh, sex drive for example mm-hmm. and another thing is that um insulin resistance is is just a terrible thing in terms of the way that it affects your body you'll gain fat it, it's you're you're more at risk for heart disease and cancer and prolonged insulin resistance can even be shown to uh, create some physiological erectile dysfunction. So, uh, you know, just because it's, it's a matter of, of blood not getting to the penis. So it's, it, you know, it's, it's serious shit. We talk a lot about stuff in the book that people, you know, think is funny and we're just being bros talking about sex drive. But, uh, you know, if one day you woke up and your dick didn't work because you'd been eating donuts uh, every day for the past six years, you'd be pretty upset about it. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's really not something that happens overnight. None of these things are, but they can happen in, in a fairly minute period of time uh, relative to the span of your life. And that's why we find that we can have some pretty, found, pretty profound effects over the course of the 16 weeks in the program. And uh, we've had guys who have doubled their testosterone levels in as little as six weeks. So it's pretty, pretty alarming how quickly it can happen. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a thoroughly modern design. The exterior has been reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Durability has been tested to the extreme, cargo capacity means more room for your gear, and there's been powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system that keeps you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering, and the Defender is ready for a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. That's LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. 
So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, so if you're like me, you've probably signed up for a whole bunch of stuff that has a recurring monthly fee. Subscriptions to newsletters, subscriptions to services that you use online, uh, could be a streaming service, something like that. You sign up for it and then you forget about it. And then every month you're getting charged and charged and charged and they just all add up and you have a hard time trying to figure out where did I sign up for this? I don't know where this is coming from. Well, let me tell you, there's an app that can help you with that. It's called Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. Stop wasting money and things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. That's awesome. So I guess like a kind of a, for sort of a a general uh, intermittent fasting schedule, I mean, one could be like you eat your last meal at seven o'clock and then you'd wait 16 hours. Yeah. And then wait 16 hours and then eat again in the morning. So we, you know, a lot of people eat their first meal at 2 PM and their last meal at 10 PM. Or, you know, if that's too late for you, if you like to go to bed early, you can, you know, you can do 12 and eight, whatever, whatever's good for you. Awesome. Let's talk about, um, kind of it's related to this, but like cheat days and cheat meals. Cause I, there's that post you, you have on your site (laughs) about the Vermonster, which is, which is a goal of mine. Cause we, my family and I, we go to Vermont a lot. Oh yeah, and, and so, I want I want to I want to pound the Vermonster one of these days. Um, good. You're yeah. a purist. I've, yeah. I've actually only ever been to Vermont once, and it was specifically to go to Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the Vermonster, for anyone who does not know, is a Ben and Jerry's confection that is made up of something like 20 scoops of ice cream, three brownies, three cookies, like two bananas, a bunch of toppings. It's pretty crazy. Uh, I have eaten it three times now. Um, 
once was with my buddy Tim Ferriss for his book, The 4-Hour Chef. We actually have a chapter where – so the monster is meant to be shared obviously between six and eight sane human beings. But Tim and I each decided to eat one by ourselves. And Tim vomited. I did not, I, I like to say. <laughs> so what role does that have in like Hormone Optimum? What does that do? Well, for the eating of a monster is crazy. It's got 14,000 calories. And, and, <laughs> but, so I'm a big believer in cheat meals and cheat days. The reason to have cheat meals is for the upregulation of a hormone called leptin. So very, very brief hormonal talk right here. Leptin is known as the anti-starvation hormone. It comes from the Greek leptos, meaning thin. And leptin is a master hormone that controls production of other hormones, in particular thyroid hormones T3 and T4. And thereby, it more or less regulates your metabolism, particularly with regard to how quickly you can burn fat. Leptin is produced in your fat cells, and it is also and the, the, uh, the production of leptin is also related to your overall caloric intake, which means this. When you are on a diet, hopefully you will lose fat, so leptin levels drop. You're also going to be eating less calories. That's how you're losing the fat in the first place. So leptin levels drop even further. And after a couple of weeks, your leptin levels have dropped to the point where it's downregulated your T3 and T4 production, which is why it's hard to lose weight. This is the reason that many people, when they start a diet, lose 20 pounds in the first month, and then the second month they lose two. One of the reasons is that leptin levels have dropped to the point where now they're, they've sent off some evolutionary distress signals, and it seems to the, to the, the you know, physiological machinery that we're in a famine state and that metabolism has to slow to preserve the fat stores in the muscle. Enter the cheat day. Also known by us science types as a strategic overfeed, having a cheat day bumps leptin levels up because you're getting this huge caloric excess all at once. So instead of eating you know, 2,000 calories a day or maybe even less when you're dieting, you go to eating 6,000, 8,000, or if you're stupid, 14,000 calories of ice cream in one day. And that sort of uh, brings you down from, from being at DEFCON 4 down to DEFCON 1. And you're still in – your body knows that you're still dieting. There's you know a lot of um, – a lot of evidence to say that cheat days are not necessarily as effective as we'd like them to be, but they do they do seem to work. At the very least, they don't slow fat loss down. They almost always seem to increase fat loss, provided that people are are dieting hard enough during the week to make the cheat day worth it. And then um, it, it's also a nice you know like reprieve from from the the stress of of being under dietary lock and key. So again, I, I did mention that they only work under certain conditions. You have to be fairly lean, you know, and and the leaner you are, the more often you could cheat. Um, back when I was dieting for a bodybuilding show when I was like 22, I had a cheat day once every five days up until I was about eight weeks out or, or yeah, eight weeks out from, from the show and then I stopped cheating altogether. You also need to be eating in a pretty restrictive caloric deficit. During the week, if you're going to cheat on like Sunday, you can't be, you know, if you're, if your basal metabolic rate requires you to eat 2,200 calories per day to maintain eating 2000 calories per day and then having a cheat day on Sunday, isn't going to work. You, your diet needs to be more restrictive than that. Gotcha. Does that make sense? That, that makes perfect. So if you're just starting out, like if you're still like 40 or 50 pounds overweight, wait on the cheat days. Yeah, wait until you've lost. I mean, really, the, the the main thing that I would say is 
wait until the rate of fat loss slows consistently and, and uh, considerably and then have a cheat meal and see if that affects things and then wait again. And then once you're you know, 20 pounds, 25 pounds away from your goal, a weekly cheat day might be something you want to look into. And in terms of cheat meals versus cheat days, it all depends how restrictive you are during the week. Some people like to be very, very, very restrictive during the week and then blow it out on a Sunday like I do. Um, you know, I don't mind, you know, eating 800 calories below maintenance, uh, six days a week. If I get to destroy it on Sunday, that, that works for me. I'm a pretty extreme guy, but other people, you know, they'll eat three or 400 calories below and, uh, they'll have a cheat meal once every two weeks and that's fine for them. So it really depends on the type of lifestyle you live and how miserable you want to be. Gotcha. Well, here's a question that just came to mind. Is there a difference on how intermittent fasting affects men and women? Yeah, actually. So there was a couple of articles last year that uh, basically people came out and said um, intermittent fasting is bad for women. I think intermittent fasting is bad for some people. I think anyone who has a who has has unfortunately struggled with an eating disorder is going to be someone who who is more prone to having some sort of psychological a negative psychological response to not eating particularly if you've struggled with anorexia like that's not a good idea in terms of the actual you know apples to apples comparison of of how it affects men to women i mean i just th- i think that a lot of it has to do with the the sizing thing, right? Like hummingbirds need to eat more often because they're tiny and their heart beats more because they're tiny. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, women probably can can fast for 14 hours instead of 16 hours and not be in such a crazy caloric uh, deficit and then they'll be they'll be perfectly fine. And again, it depends on the woman. You know, my wife fasts every day. I fast every day. Neither one of us see any sort of uh, anything negative. But I've known guys who have had pretty shitty reactions to fasting and I've known women. So I think that those arguments are, are founded in flawed logic. I actually wrote a Facebook post addressing one of them. And, and this article was written by someone on T nation and it was, I think, I mean, I think it might've been 1200 words long and there were at least nine logical fallacies in the way that the argument was presented. And you know, that's a problem for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like that's, that's the issue I take. I don't you know, if you don't like intermittent fasting, if you don't think it's good for women, just say, I don't recommend it to my clients. Don't make some sort of ridiculously structured, impassioned argument because it's bullshit yeah. is the problem. You know, just like if you're going to argue, know the rules upon which argument functions. Yeah. Well, okay, so besides the nutrition, like the intermittent fasting, what are some other like important aspects of hormone optimization huge one is sleep. I really, I can't stress this enough. And it's, it's such a, it, I, I, it's such like a double-edged sword because I feel like this is super important. I need to tell people about it, but then I'm like, no one's going to listen to me anyway. So sleep, right? So, so there's a couple of studies. Uh, the first of which, um, was a study that found we're sleeping about, uh, on average 75 to 90 minutes less or fewer than, um, than we were 10 years ago which I think is pretty interesting. On average, we're sleeping up to an hour and a half less than we were 10 years ago. Why, I mean, wh- as to why that is, Brett, your guess would be as good as mine. Yeah. But I think that we're all just, you know, there's more to do. We're all on our phones all the time. Um, so here's, here's the, the really terrible downside of that. There was another study, and this one, uh, maybe, maybe Harvard. I, I'd, have to, I'd have to check our notes. But uh, it showed that 
sleeping six hours per night or less for as little as two weeks can lower testosterone levels by as much as 15%. Whoa. So here's something to consider. One of the, the like arbitrary numbers that we spout off, because this seems to be true, is that for men after the age of 30, your testosterone levels will drop about 1% per year going forward. Right? So that means that by sleeping six hours a night or less for two weeks, you're aging your body 15 years in terms of testosterone production. Hmm. That's a bad idea. Yeah. So right off the bat, you can see just how f- just fantastically and fundamentally it is uh, important it is to get good sleep. Get enough sleep is is huge, you know, and it's and it's hard because you need it the most, you know, when you're in your mid twenties because you're you're functioning like a like a beast and you're going through life and at this like breakneck pace. But at the same time, that's when you want to feel like you're invincible and and that's the tendency, right? We don't take care of ourselves during that time, and then we screw ourselves you know, for, for the future. So, um, it's something that I, that I say with a lot of hope, but, um, uh, you know, the, the yeah. foresight, that unfortunately guys aren't going to listen to the extent that they should. What about uh, stress optimization or managing stress? Yeah. So that's huge. So there's a hormone called cortisol. It affects you in all sorts of interesting ways. It is a stress hormone and it's cyclical. The more stressed out you are, the more cortisol you will have. And the more cortisol you have, the more prone to feeling stressed you are. Mm. Um, sort of like, you know, being drunk. You know, like yeah. the, the the more alcohol in your system, the drunker you are. But the drunker you are, the, the, the like more bad decisions you'll make. Um, this is uh, is deleterious for a number of reasons. It's been shown that it can uh, – lead to the accumulation of the type of belly fat that is linked to many types of, of cancers in men. So that sounds terrible. And then also it's just, you know, all sorts of other uh, negative effects of stress, hair loss and, you know, thoughts of suicide and all these other things. It also lowers testosterone, right? Yes. Cortisol can lower testosterone, but in particular, it'll, it'll, it seems to be negatively, uh, related. There's sort of an inverse relationship sure. between, um, testo- or, uh, cortisol and growth hormone, but growth hormone does act as sort of a potentiator to testosterone. So it seems that even if your testosterone levels are unaffected, you might, you might feel like you have low test. Mm, okay. Gotcha. So like I guess meditation or just kind of being stoic towards life is an important uh, strategy for hormone optimization? Well, the first thing again is sleep. That's our first line of defense. The more you sleep, the better your growth hormone will be, the, few, the less cortisol you'll have. But yeah, I mean I think that um, some guys are super into meditation. I, I think that it works for a lot of people. But there are, are people who are just a little bit too – too pragmatic to, to like really buy into meditation. And I happen to be one of them. Let me qualify that by saying, I do believe it works, but I also just, it's too, it's for me, it's still a little bit too woo woo. You know, I, I can do it and it's very, very hard for me to meditate for even 10 to 15 minutes, but it doesn't have, it doesn't seem to have the same effect for me as it does for other people where, you know, when I come out of this meditation, even if I manage to get it 90% right, which I'm probably capable of doing one out of every 10 times I try. Um, I I don't come out of it with this feeling of dispassionate calm that I have Mm. in general. Instead, I'm just like, I don't know, maybe I just, there's too many negative associations with it. So what do you do? For me, I mean, a big part of it is just writing. You know, I know what, what works for me in terms of like, whatever's bothering me, I just write about it in the most 
ridiculous way that I can because I really think that life is is sort of one big joke. You know, I just, it's such a, it's so ridiculous. Like when I, yeah, I was, um, and this is, this is, we're getting into dark territory here, but, um, the, the, the shooting in, uh, Isla Vista, um, affected all of us, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't even, you know, uh, Roger, uh, Elliot Roger, I don't even like to say his name and, and throw him props, but you know, it just affected me pretty negatively because he was this depressed kid who just, you know, like imagine that, imagine that your whole life is so terrible because you're just not getting any pussy that you're like, well, the only reaction is to kill people. And to me, it's, it's so dark and, and awful that the only thing I can do is laugh about it and just write about it and talk about it in the most ridiculous way. And that seems to help me get through it. Because when I think about it, things like that, like misogyny, it's, it, it, people say like there's nothing funny about it, but it, it's not funny, but it's laughable to me. It is so incredibly laughable that anyone could really think that there's a fundamental difference in the quality of a human being based on their genitals like that's or their race so it's it's i can't even put myself in the mindset of someone who believe that like the fact that that people are still racist it it, it, to me when i hear stories about real racism it almost feels like it's made up because there's no possible way anyone could be crazy enough to believe that (laughs) like and so i just like i'll write in my journal about how ridiculous it is that people could still live in this world about you know, where, where color matters, uh, for example. And, um, and for me, just like taking, you know, 30 or 40 minutes to write a ridiculous story about that, or, or just, you know, write out my thoughts. And that really, really helps me. And I think, you know, that's a form of moving meditation for me. Oh, so you, you kind of take sort of like a, a catch 22, like that character Yossarian in the novel. Yes. Like he just sort of laughs up the absurdity of right. war, right? Yes, exactly right. And, and, you know, because there's nothing else you can do, you know, unfortunately, like we can't, there's no cure for just people going off the deep end, it seems. And, uh, and that sucks, you know, but yeah, the absurdity of it all. Yeah, so that for me helps. But I also, you know, I throw myself into my work and I throw myself into into exercise. And, and that's really um, helpful for me. And honestly, a big one for me, anytime I'm super stressed out with work, I stop working and I go to the poker table. So I'm a lo- I, I've, I've been playing poker since I'm 20 years old. I really like it. I, uh, I've made a lot of money doing it. And it was something that I did at least semi-professionally in my, in my mid-20s where I was supplementing my income by three or four or 5,000 per month playing poker. And there's something for me which is so incredibly freeing to just be at a table and just focus on the cards and living in this world where the only nine people that exist are you and the eight other guys at the table. And the only thing you're going to do now is focus on, on playing these cards to the best of your ability. And to me, that is infinitely more relaxing and satisfying than meditation. It's And interestingly, I know a lot of professional poker players and they say the thing that helps them is working out. And then I know a lot of people, another, a lot of poker players who say that meditating is what keeps them balanced so they can play. So I think it's really the, the, the takeaway is find whatever it is that allows you to feel completely isolated and untethered. And just like, you know, for some people, it's, it's meditation. For other people, it's poker. For some people, it's training. You know, I, I don't know. And it, it's been different things for me at different times of my life. Yeah. So yeah, experiment. 
right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the key, right? That's why we're here to figure out what works. All right. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, strength training because that's an important part of uh, hormone optimization. Because a lot of people don't realize that whenever you exercise, your body releases a whole bunch of hormones. Mm-hmm. What's your philosophy towards strength training? Is it just like what works for you or what gets you moving? Or is there something that you recommend? I mean, what, what what's your approach to fitness and strength training? Yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you distill, you know, 12, 12 years of training and experimenting and writing into, into an answer for that? It all depends where people are, right? Like my philosophy for me is not the same as my philosophy for my clients. If I have someone who's never trained before, they, they have historically had a hard time building the habit of exercise, then my philosophy is let's just pick the thing you hate the least and that you or enjoy the most and let's just do that because that is for whatever reason what feels okay to you and that is going to keep you coming back and building that habit is going to be most important. For you know, a guy who comes to me and he wants to compete in bodybuilding, my philosophy is going to be in, you know, have my training philosophy is going to be entirely different than a woman who wants to get in shape for her wedding. So for me, my philosophy isn't necessarily what works for you because I think you can make just about anything work for you. Although there will be some things that are just, you know, that maybe you respond better to genetically. It's all about like, what's your goal and how can we get you there? You know, there's a lot of people who would come on this, this show and they're just like, oh, it's CrossFit. I just, yeah, CrossFit's my philosophy. Um, and then there's other people who would come on and say, well, I hate CrossFit. It's terrible. The crux of what you enjoy the most or hate the least and what's going to be most effective for getting you toward your goal, wherever those two lines meet on the graph is what you should be focusing on. And if you're someone like me, that's going to change all the time because I'm always chasing different goals. You know, historically, most of my goals have been aesthetic or strength related. You know, I wanted to deadlift 600 pounds. So I did it. I trained specifically for that or I wanted to compete in bodybuilding. So I trained specifically for that. But if I got it into my head that I wanted to compete in the CrossFit games, I would obviously train very, very differently than, than I would for bodybuilding. So, yeah, I mean. So you're not dogmatic, basically. That's, that yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm like Bruce Lee. I'm all about being water. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't have a, a, a strong tie to any one training methodology because I, I just don't care enough. I just think when people get so upset about it, like, that's nuts. Yeah. So you, had, you had that post about like kettlebells, right? Where everyone's yeah, just like, yes, yeah. you have to do kettlebells. It is, it is superior to any type of exercise ever. And it's like, I've done kettlebells. I like kettlebells. Yeah. Um, but you know, they can only do so much. Right. Like if I wanted to deadlift 600 pounds, I wouldn't be training with kettlebells. Yeah. Like, it's not, you know, maybe I would do kettlebell swings as a supplementary exercise, but I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be like, well, I need to find two 300 pound kettlebells. That's not like what I would do. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I, my, I, I really fight pretty hard against dogmatism because I think it really hurts the industry and that's, that's any industry by the way. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just not good. It, you know, it, it really, it, it creates camps, which people like because they like to feel part of, yeah. of a tribe, yeah. but it also like it fractures and segments the distribution of information and, uh, and I think progress. And I think that's something to be, to be aboard. Yeah. I mean, it kind of, it makes you stupid too. Uh, sure. cause I remember like for a while, like several years ago, I was like really big on just like the five by five you know, mm-hmm. strong lifts. And I, that's all I did. And I was like, yeah, this is where it's at. It's all about compound lifts. 
and they're great, but like there came a point like I wasn't making any progress. Right. And so I had to like reevaluate. I was like, well, maybe I should do something else. And like I started doing um, like just basic, you know, supplemental lifts. Like I brought back the bicep curl. I started yeah. using machines. And what's crazy is like I started making progress again. And so now I'm in this place where I'm just like, I'm always changing depending, like you said, depending on your goal, what my goals are. And there's always changing. Right. I mean, nothing, nothing annoys me more than when some, you know, some kid goes on the internet and he asks a forum or his or Facebook page and they're like, all right, I want big arms because he's a kid and he wants to look good at the beach. Yeah. What should I do? And, you know, a bunch of people come back with him. And it's like, well, you need to do five, three, one. Don't worry about biceps curls. You just need to do. You know, your arms are going to grow from from benching and, yeah. and doing pull-ups. I, okay, they will, but also do some bicep curls. Like, there's nothing, there's, you know, like, they're awesome, they're fun, it's easy, it's convenient, and you're going to get a good pump and feel good, and you're going to go back to the gym because you got a good pump and it felt good. Like, just discouraging people from doing things they want to do because you don't agree with it, I think, is 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 pretty stupid. All right, so let's talk about that that kid who's just starting out, right? I know there's probably a lot of people who are listening who are sort of uh, seasoned veterans in the fitness world, but there's a lot of people who they want to get started on that hero's journey to becoming more fit. I mean, what's one or two or three, whatever you want to do, like, what are some things they can do today? Like start off with today that can get them going on that. Master a few bodyweight exercises would be great. You know, like really do a push up correctly and, you know, don't let your hips sag, don't have your ass in the air, make sure you're protracting the shoulder at the top of the movement. Like there's, you know, it seems like a pretty simple movement, but there's a lot of little hitches that a lot of people get wrong because they're never taught how to do it. So I think if you mastered the lunge, the bodyweight squat, the pull-up, the push-up, and the plank, if you really just mastered those, and there are so many ways to figure that out. I mean, you could hire a coach or you could just read a lot of really, really quality information from the right people on the internet, if you mastered those and did, you know, six sets of six reps for each of them every day for a week, and then, you know, maybe started messing with the volume after that, uh, you would start to see pretty good results. And another thing is like sprint. That's, you know, like stretch, make sure you're, you're hydrated and foam roll and take care of your soft tissue. Don't just like go out and, and just like go zero to 60, like Rocky on the beach, you know, do, do some warm up sets and sprint. I think that, it, you know, people are always asking me, like, if you could only do one yeah. exercise, I, I hate these questions. What like, would it be? If you were on a desert island, what would you do? <laughs> Squats or deadlifts? I'd be like, if I, if I could only do one exercise and I was on a, de- on a desert island, it would probably be swimming. Like, <laughs> like, I hate swimming, but I recognize when it's useful. But uh, yeah, I mean, like, if it really came down to it, like, if I could only do one thing, it would be sprinting. Build a, a great physique, sprinting and, and having good form doing it. And you're also going to stay lean, you know, versus, you know, my, my favorite weight training exercise is certainly the deadlift. And if I could only do one weight training exercise, it would be that. But I think that there are like that there would be complications there from only deadlifting for sure. the rest of your life. You know, after you master some body weight movements, master some compound movements and a few isolation movements of your choice. If you want big shoulders, throw in some lateral raises. If you want big arms, throw in some biceps curls. If you want a big chest, throw in some flies or something. You know, just like whatever it is. But yeah. those should be in addition to, not in lieu of the overhead press or push press, the squat, the deadlift, the bench press, the, the bent over row or, or, or cable row or something. You know, I think that like that's that's a huge part of it. Awesome. All right. So let's uh, 
we've been going at it for a long time. This has been a great, great yeah. conversation. But let's end with this. I mean, what are you working on right now, and uh, where can people find out more about your work? Sure, uh, I'm I'm working on a bunch of different things at the moment, which I think is really a terrible idea, and that's something I'll get better at hopefully, and just work on one thing. I'm trying to figure out the next the next phase of what I'm going to be doing. You know, I. I sort of want to transition Roman fitness systems into um, more of a a magazine style site than a single person blog. As much as I like uh, writing about fitness, I, I sort of am at the point where I don't write often because I've sort of said what I had to say. Like there's every now and again, I get a good idea and I write about it, but the blog mostly sits fairly dormant. So I would like to use it um, as a launching pad and and turn it into something like T Nation was for me back in the day where I can, you know, now that I have all this attention and so much traffic, I'd like to be able to publish other authors and, um, and start doing guest posts. So um, toward the end of the summer or, or uh, late in 2014, I'm going to be transitioning there and function more as a, a sometime writer and an editor, which will free me up to do some other things. I really, um, I want to tell stories, Brett. And so I, I'm, I've started kicking around uh, the idea I, I have three ideas for individual novels, so I'd really like to um, start working on those at some point. But uh, before I do anything else, the big thing for me is I want to I want to write a book uh, that really touches on what we talked about, which is the hero's journey as applied to life. I I, I think it's a great model for self development, but it's also a really effective thesis for problem solving, and I think that. Although uh, there was a book released fairly recently called Mythology and uh, Personal Development, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Path Pathways to Bliss, Mythology and Personal Development. It was actually put together from a, a number of Joseph Campbell's lectures. But other than that, I, I don't think that anyone has written a, um, a book that applies the hero's journey to personal development and um, – and I really think I could do that fairly well. And I think I think that book needs to be written. So, you know, it's basically like a philosophy and self-help book, um, which means that it'll either sell a million copies or six. And uh, <laughs> I'm happy to roll the dice on that one because I really just want to write it. So I've started outlining that. And then I want to write stories and I want to write screenplays, man. That's the main thing. Books and movies. I just want to tell stories for the rest of my life. That's cool, man. So where can people find you at? Sure. Right. Uh, it's romanfitnesssystems.com for any of the fitness stuff or uh, at John Romanello on just about any social media outlet. Um, so there's a lot of fun stuff on Twitter and Facebook. If you follow me on Instagram, I want to let you know you will only see pictures of my dogs. That's all that's there. So don't <laughs> – if you want fitness stuff, that's not the place. Don't go there. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Just just dog. But they're cute dogs. So you should you should follow me on Instagram if you like bulldogs. Okay. But, if, uh, if you're feeling down, you want to see a cute dog, make you feel that's better. Place. Yeah. That's the exact place to go. Awesome. Well, John Romanello, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Brett. And thank you to everyone for listening. Our guest today was John Romanello. John is the author of the book, Man 2.0, Engineering the Alpha. You can find that on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. And also check out more of John's work at RomanFitnessSystems.com. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy the podcast and you've gotten something out of it, I'd really appreciate it if you go to iTunes or Stitcher or whatever you use to listen 
to the podcast and give us a rating or review. Uh, that would help us out a lot and get the word out about, get the word out about the podcast. So until next time, stay manly. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit CARON.org slash lost. Hey, look at you. Florist by day, student by night. Student by day, nurse by night. Since 1998, Penn State World Campus has led the charge in online education, offering access to more than 175 in-demand programs taught by our expert faculty. We offer flexible schedules, scholarships, and tuition plans to help you reach your educational goals online. Penn State World Campus delivers on your time. Click the ad or visit worldcampus.psu.edu to learn more. That's worldcampus.psu.edu to learn more.